Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my brother, Michael Kuhn. I'm still here. And Matthew Kuhn. And I still don't want to do this. <laughs> All right, so that was pretty bad. Uh, lost to the Texans. Um, I'm sure that there's someone who can say and express their misery better than I can. Let's give a call to Grandpa. What do you say, Matthew? Let's do it. Uh, this is Sam. I uh, can't come to the phone right now, but if you leave your name and phone number, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thank you. Hey, Grandpa. This is Matthew. Um, just calling you after the game yesterday. Um, just wanted to get your thoughts on the Browns and Kevin Hogan. I'm I'm sure there's there's not a whole lot left to say, but... Hope you're well. Hope you're not thinking about the Browns. Um, and give me a call back if you can. Love you. I wonder what he could be doing right now. Let's try him on the cell. All right. We'll give him a try. Matthew, what are you doing? I'm at a dance. You're at a dance? Yeah. Oh, well, well you're busy living it up. <laughs> well, there's nothing to say about the Browns. They stink. <laughs> it's true. It's true. All right. Well, well we're going to let you go because we can't really hear you, but have fun at the dance. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you soon. Have fun. That that was legitimately better than I ever could have imagined. He's out dancing right now. <laughs> it's far better than anything I'm doing or that I did after the Browns game, that's for sure. I just got mad. I know. I sat there for like three hours watching the Red Zone channel. And so good for him. Yeah, we both did. I stewed in it for a while. Um, he's, he's learned. 80 years has really done him well. He knows how to cope. He's, he's down in the dumps. He goes out and he goes dancing. He gets his mind off it. I love that. Man, uh, I just hope a, I'm dancing when I'm 80 years old. Yeah, the man is in tremendous shape. Does karate on the yeah, reg. To keep his physical fitness at its utmost, he regularly does karate and is moving his way up the belts. Um, started as a white belt. I believe he's a brown belt now. Shout out to Grandpa for making it to the brown belt. Proud of you. Hey, do we, do we have to talk about the game this week, or can we just act I, like it didn't happen? <laughs> I just want to continue giving descriptions of our listeners, giving descriptions of grandpa to our listeners. I think that that would be more entertaining. Definitely. <laughs> all right. So it is a Browns podcast as much as we all want to talk about Sean Dor, I'm going to um, open it up to you guys to tell me uh, your takes on the game. Matthew, what would you, what'd you see? Man, this is week six of this. I used to listen to a podcast made by two guys from New Zealand it's called the worst idea of all time. And on this podcast, all they do for 52 straight weeks is watch the same crappy movie over and over and over again Wait, and review it. There's 52 weeks of this? Yes. So for 52 weeks every year, they watched Grown Ups 2 and reviewed it every <laughs> single week. That is what I feel like I'm doing with this freaking Browns team. I'm watching the same crap every single week and they suck and they're terrible and they're making no progress and I have to get on a freaking podcast and talk about it every single week. I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. Yeah, I feel like I've said everything that needs to be said. But what, I want to backtrack. Did you listen to all 52 of these episodes? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an incredible waste of time. No, no. So, so it's the, I mean, they do a great job. It's called The Worst Idea of All Time. Check it out. Um, I honestly, I've probably listened to 15 episodes of this this podcast. How long is it? I mean, 52 episodes. No, no. How long is each episode? Oh, uh, probably like 45 minutes. Oh wow! All right. Well, <laughs> and dedicated. That's a good, it's it's that's a good so seven hours. I, I challenge you to go listen to it because it's actually shockingly entertaining, which is a credit to the guys who put it on. Good for them. Honestly, and if you've ever watched Grown Ups 2, you never know have. how awful 
that movie is. I think I should listen to all 52 and then watch Grown Ups 2. Dang it, I still haven't seen Young Sheldon. What is wrong? <laughs> that, that needs to be a branch off pod. You have to watch the first episode of Young Sheldon every week and give a review. <laughs> oh my It can gosh. be our bi week feature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> During the bi week, I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to sit here alone and talk about the first episode of Young Sheldon. <laughs> it's perfect. No, no input from you guys. I just have to talk for 30 minutes. All right. So, I mean, Kevin Hogan, um, starting quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, he's the future of our franchise. <laughs> Wait, it's we got past Sunday where, you know, we actually, it was proven that Kevin Hogan is not a starting NFL quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, it's disappointing because, you know, whenever he came in, he, in those few flashes that he had coming in after Kaiser got hurt out with the migraine and then coming in after Kaiser got benched, he had a few productive drives. And during the whole game last week, he only had a few productive drives. So it's really is a bummer. But there's a trend, right? He He is only productive in garbage time when it doesn't really matter, like when the defense isn't, like, scheming to stop him. That isn't a good look for an NFL. I don't know about that though. Think about it. He he came in for the migraine Deshaun Kaiser in Indianapolis, but and there the defense did produce a touchdown. The defense wasn't scheming to stop him. Like they had schemed for Deshaun Kaiser, they didn't scheme for Kevin Hogan. He comes in and runs some more of the read option, makes a couple passes. So that's fair. The thing that just kills me though is that he. Was he, every time he had come in this whole year, he was quite accurate and quite decisive. And those were the two things that you saw that you liked from Kevin Hogan that you weren't seeing from Deshaun Kaiser. As you saw him take his three-step drop, he took a read, and he made a play. Either he threw it away or he did something when he took his drop. And he was decisive. It was everything we weren't seeing from Kaiser. And then this week, he shows up as the starter and... It didn't feel like we saw any of that. Maybe he was decisive, but he darn sure wasn't accurate. Yeah, he wasn't hitting those timing routes that he had been throughout the rest of the year. The rest of the year, he was overcoming his um, the his inability to get the ball there quickly and on a line by his having— His lack of arm strength. Yeah, lack of arm strength. Um, by having inc- incredible timing, he was completing a ton of passes. But this week, it seemed like he got flustered. He had a few of those balls that floated over people's heads, and then he just— there was a string there where he threw five or six balls straight over receivers' heads right after that first interception. Right before that, he threw it over Seth DeValve's head, and then he threw it over Duke Johnson's head, and it got intercepted in return for a touchdown. I think that just got in his head, not to put words in his mouth, but I think it just he got flustered. But he was like that from the very beginning. He wasn't hitting his targets from the get-go. I don't understand what was going on. Yeah, so in the end, he was 20 for 30 passing for 140 yards, uh, one touchdown, and three interceptions. But he started four for four. All right, so subtract that. He was 16 for 34, and... No, you did that math wrong. 33, and... And, this uh, is why Mark relies on the coin when we're picking. I do. I do. The, the coin end. is Guess. very important to me. Um, <laughs> shout out to the coin. I know we're going to talk about this at the end of the week, but the coin went three for three this week. And Argo, yeah. I went three for three this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was disappointing to say the least. Let's so talk- what? So is it possible that we'll go back to Kevin Hogan is like, what is, what, what do you do now that you're Hugh Jackson and you're the front office and you're trying to decide on what your path forward is for the rest of the season? Like, what do you do? All right. The only logical reason why I feel like we went to Kevin Hogan in the first place was an attempt to win a game and to not like lose the team, right? Like Kevin Hogan had been coming in and scoring points and moving the ball so it's hard to keep going back to Kaiser every single time. Well, now we've gone to Kevin Hogan, and we've seen what that's like, and everybody's experienced it. There's no way that you can make that same argument that we used the first time. I think you have to go back to Kev- or Kaiser. Because, he honestly, we were never in this game because of Kevin Hogan. Like I don't even know how to evaluate any of the p- other players' performances because of Kevin Hogan, on offense at least. Like, 
Duke Johnson, Isaiah Correll, any of the receivers, I can't even say if they had a good game or a bad game because Kevin Hogan, like, dominated this game on offense with his inability to complete a pass. His stink. Yes. It was just, just everywhere. He stunk up Duke Johnson. <laughs> he stunk up Casey Williams. That that upper arm hair stench. Um, <laughs> but, oh man! And so, like, I feel I feel bad for the dude because he came in and wasn't like a heralded prospect, and I feel like everybody built him up all week as being this like hero, and what like he was going to save this team, and it probably wasn't fair. But I no, mean, you saw everybody really, on Twitter. Go ahead. But really, to be fair, I think all anybody actually wanted was just no turnovers. Like protect the ball i think what we wanted was probably cody kessler like not that i'm calling for cody kessler but i think we wanted a guy that was just going to make the safe throws be accurate and keep us from losing the game cody maybe kessler not go out and will, win it. cody kessler will do that and that's what we had all last year he'll also take eight <laughs> sacks yeah well we had four this week what's four more um, <laughs> i would take four more sacks and three less interceptions uh, is that a fair trade fair that's a fair trade. I mean, I'd make that trade too. So. Um, here, here's the thing. I don't think anyone could step into this role at quarterback with the talent around them and have that weight on their shoulders and be the savior of this team right now. Yeah. The team's just not good enough. There's there's probably five players in the NFL yeah. who, who could do that. And two of them are hurt. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers could do it, but they're they're not playing right now. Um, so, uh, like, what else? Looking at the offense, is there anything else positive we can pull out of this game? It felt like we had a running game going in that one drive, and then we stopped leaning on it because we were trying to make big plays to try to get back into the game, and we just never established any sort of offensive rhythm. Yeah, I if I had to say a positive for the game was or offensive wise would be Duke Johnson. I mean. I think Duke Johnson is consistently, like week after week, he's shown flashes of being just the most athletic guy on our team. He has the ability, like that touchdown he had last But week. even running the ball, just his pure carries, he averaged eight yards per carry this yeah, week. he's better at running than Isaiah Crowell is. He just is. Crow is not having a good year. It's a bummer for him because it's a contract year for him, and he's just not, not living up to it. I, I would love – I mean, I don't think Duke Johnson can handle the amount of carries that we need to have our running back handle, but I would love for him to be our every down back. If Duke Johnson was on a team that was winning consistently, and he would be in the Pro Bowl conversation. Like he he's that good when he gets the ball in his hands. If like put him on a team that passes a lot and he's the lead back, he would be unbelievable. But he's on the Browns and we never win and we're throwing the ball, and we just can't get out of our own way. Yeah, imagine how good he would be on the Patriots. I hope, I hope we're able to bring him back, but I won't give him, I won't fault him if he. Well, we've got he another year with him. We've got another year with him, and then the franchise tag on a running back is actually not that. Uh, actually, Le'Veon Bell, twelve million a year, but it might be less than because the contracts are going down year by year. True. That'll be interesting. True. Case and Williams was also good. I, I was. This was the first week that he really showed up and performed um, on the field. And, I mean, he was coming off uh, being a practice squad kind of guy, and there was a lot of hope. And But I, I liked what I saw from him. He yeah. was waiting on some Kevin Hogan passes for a while. Yeah, I mean, you can you can say he was good. He was our leading receiver, but, I mean, he had 41 yards. Like, he – I mean, he didn't, <laughs> <laughs> like, he didn't have a great game. Like, he was – We're our, really <laughs> grasping at straws here. He was our best receiver, but our best receiver right now gets 41 yards yeah. on four receptions. So uh, – It just – our receiving core is really lacking. I want uh, – I, I want freaking Josh Gordon back so bad. I can feel yeah, it I, in my bones. <laughs> um, okay. I don't think there's anything else we can talk about on the offense. Yeah. We somehow complete. We were in despair to such a degree last week that we didn't even mention Miles Garrett's first game and his two sacks in the first week. But is, he was prob he was probably the bright spot again this week. It was pretty phenomenal. He's unbelievable. Like to to come in and he's only played two games now, and he's so clearly already like 
head and shoulders above anybody we have on the defensive line. He's also a half a sack away from leading rookies in all sacks, and he's only played two <laughs> games now, which is absurd. Like He's well on his way to winning rookie of, defensive rookie of the year if he keeps it up, even having missed the first four games. Yep. I, I was texting with some friends who are not Browns fans at all and just constantly shit on the Browns just to get me riled up. And during this game, they were texting me about Deshaun Watson. And I was like, I don't even care. I have Miles Garrett. I'll take Miles Garrett and any other fool that you throw out there at the quarterback position over Deshaun Watson. First of all, I'm not sold on Deshaun Watson as being good, but also because you can't pass on Miles Garrett. Yeah, no, you can't. You can't pass him. He was the only one that had a sack this week. So I'm really glad you brought up the Deshaun Watson conversation because while I was watching this game, I was definitely trying to evaluate Deshaun Watson. But what really stuck out to me less than Deshaun Watson and how he's playing was how the coaching staff is putting him in a good position to succeed. And we've talked in the past in previous weeks about how I feel that their receivers are so much more talented than what the Browns have. So if Deshaun was on our team, you wouldn't be seeing the same results. But also it pointed out the fact to me that Hugh Jackson does not seem to be tailoring his offense to his personnel like we saw last year. And that really bothers me. Like last year we saw him coming out and he was super creative in his game plans. We saw that game against the Bengals where he ran Kevin Hogan like five times for like 80 yards or whatever it was. He had that other game against Miami when Terrell Pryor was in the Wildcat and was making all kinds of plays. Like we haven't seen anything like, and our personnel isn't, fundamentally worse than it was last year on offense. I don't understand why we're not scheming towards Kaiser or Hogan's strengths more than we are right now. I feel like we are tailoring the game plan towards Kaiser. I mean, we've thrown the ball deep so many times. We, we've thrown the ball the third most, or besides, excluding last week, we had the third highest rate of throwing the ball downfield, and Kaiser can throw the ball downfield well, and he was the third highest rated quarterback throwing the ball downfield as far as accuracy is concerned. And so I feel like we're doing that intentionally, but our, our game plan was for Deshaun Kaiser for the entire year. And then we switched to Kevin Hogan, and that was a problem. I also think that that's the reason Cody Kessler has been inactive is because our entire game plan is focused on throwing the ball at that mid-level to deep-level range, which Cody Kessler just can't do. With an athletic quarterback, which yeah. Kevin Hogan is also. Is also an athletic quarterback. Yeah, I think we're – well, I mean, we, our offense looks completely different than it did last year because last year we had Cody Kessler. And Cody Kessler's inactive, and we're not using him. I think it's it's not working for sure, but I think that it's tailored to the pieces that we have. We just don't have the receiving core to back it up. So the coaching piece was the first thing that I that jumped out to me when I remember watching Sean Watson. But then as I watched the game, it was amazing to me how much difference some of those little plays make. Like that. Kevin Hogan threw that deep ball down the sideline that the linebacker just like happened to turn and it like stuck in his elbow. Like he wasn't even trying to make the interception, but he accidentally did. But it was four and, yards under thrown. I mean, it was a terrible pass. And because he throws such like a lofted ball, like it's just kind of nestled in there like a little baby and it was no big deal. But like that was a swing play that could have, you know, gone in our favor and it just didn't in a similar fashion. When Deshaun Watson threw that horrible pass when they were backed up on their side over into Andre Hopkins' area and uh, McCourty was right there ready to intercept it, if DeAndre Hopkins doesn't come back and swat that ball Hopkins away, made the ball at the 20-yard line. That is an amazing play. He jumped over McCourty and then spiked it. Full-on volleyball perfect. spiked I mean, it. DeAndre Hopkins has, like, gorilla arms. Like, those things are so freaking long, and he just reached around and no, swatted awesome. it away. Like, amazing play. That That's something that doesn't show up in a stat sheet, but is, like, the difference between what makes a, a really good football player, like, a great football player. Like, yeah. DeAndre well, Hopkins is so DeAndre. good. Right. It was a fantastic play by DeAndre Hopkins, but it was a terrible play by Deshaun Watson. Oh, absolutely. No, like, sure. And that's what, I've, play. that's what I've been saying for weeks. I mean, I did the preview last week, and I said Deion, um, Watson throws like three or four passes a game that are interceptable. You saw that where DeAndre Hopkins like made the play on the ball, and then you saw the later interception that McCourty returned for a touchdown. Like, yep. Deshaun Watson is prime for those. There was, an, like, there was another play earlier on in the game I was watching for the same thing, and Deshaun Watson overthrew one of his receivers, and it went right to where Derek Kindred was standing. 
but Derek Kindred wasn't looking at the ball. He was chasing to his zone for someone else. If he just had been watching Deshaun Watson, it would have been an interception on like their first drive. Anyone who's telling you that Deshaun Watson, like the Browns messed up by passing on Deshaun Watson, it is way, first of all, it's way too early to decide that. Second of all, based on Deshaun Watson's performances now, it's leaning towards the Browns being correct. Like the statistics are lying on what Deshaun Watson actually is. When he starts playing some defenses that are really good and take advantage of mistakes, Deshaun Watson's going to be rough and the Texans are going to have a hard time winning football games. Give credit to their off their offensive their coaching scheme. staff and their scheme. They're putting him in the best position to succeed, but Deshaun Watson is not this like pro bowl NFL quarterback that people are making him out to be. Yeah, I yeah mean, this, this is kind of my point. This is kind of my point with Kaiser is there's going to be those plays, those handful of plays that we're seeing from Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Kaiser that are rookie mistakes. They're just not there all the way yet. They're not going to look like an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady play in and play out. Kaisers have been atrocious because they have been in the red zone, but he's still just making a few little mistakes. Like, I don't think that it made sense for us to even go away from him this week. I just don't understand. So my my vote, certainly, I know I didn't voice my opinion earlier, but I certainly hope that we take Deshaun Kaiser through the end of the season. Yeah, I'm, I hope that too. I mean, I, I said that last week, I think on the podcast, that I, I hope we did. start Deshaun Kaiser for all seven, six, 17 weeks of 16 games. Yeah. Okay, so on defense, Miles Garrett was a highlight. And the run defense overall continues to be a highlight. Like, basically nobody can run on us. They had one decently long Dante Foreman run. And other than that, Denny Shelton. Denny Shelton is so good. Like, if you watch the game, just watching Danny Shelton play. And it's, it's so tough because he plays uh, unheralded position. He plays the defensive tackle where he's just a run stuffer. And he, he, does, he really doesn't make the tackles on most of these plays. But he, he ends up just uh, – Danny Shelton makes a difference in our defense, and he is playing at a Pro Bowl level, and I just hope that we keep him around. Oh, yeah. No, I'm super excited about our run defense, but it's like no one can run on us, but when they can pass it directly over our linebackers every time, then it's like, what are we – is it really worth it? I don't know. So, so I, think my- it's a, I think it's a Greg Williams scheme thing, and he runs a very interesting scheme, and he asks a lot of his defensive players that they're not used to playing. For instance, we have defensive linemen that drop back into coverage on the regular. Uh, defensive tackles are dropping back and doing a shallow zone um, where the linebackers would be, and then the linebackers are blitzing. It's all meant to try to confuse the opponents, but I think part of the problem is we're not executing the scheme properly, which is, I, I'll, to be fair, I think that's Greg Williams' fault too, that the players aren't executing the scheme. But I know that, Matthew, you're, not, you're super frustrated with Greg Williams during this game. But I think that the scheme is okay. It's the execution that isn't. But the scheme, like the scheme is, you can say the scheme's okay, but it's also not working. Like every time we blitz the linebackers and drop Danny Shelton back into coverage, they throw it to the tight end in the seam. Like it, like it doesn't work. So like I appreciate being aggressive and going for turnovers and like trying to make big plays. But when it's not working, you have to go to a more basic like conservative scheme where if we just rushed four or five and dropped our linebackers i like our linebackers i think they can do well in coverage in a zone we won't give up those plays to tight ends and we'll give our offense a chance to like catch back up so the problem to me is the room that is between our linebackers and our safeties Mm -hmm. and here is my most recent my my mind working through this as i've watched six games now of this defense that's pretty much run the same scheme all the entire time we don't have a free safety on the entire team. So we don't have one person that can play center field and Agreed. cover some ground. And so I think Greg Williams has had to scheme around that. Jabril Peppers is the most athletic safety that we have. And so he's placed him in that position because he thinks he's got the most raw talent to make something happen, but he's not a player that can actually do that at this point. That's why they're playing so deep because he's minimizing the damage by playing him that deep so that he can just run forward. But he is giving away those 10-yard passes to the tight ends in the middle of that zone because there is so much space. And we've seen it over and over and over and over again. I don't think the linebackers are really playing that poorly in coverage. 
those receivers and tight ends just have so much room to roam that it's so easy to find the holes in the zone. And most yeah. of most of those easy like linebacker or tight end catches are when we blitz a linebacker from that side and we drop Shelton or um, Coley back in coverage. And like, look, Danny Shelton is an amazing athlete for his size. He should not be in zone coverage. Like, correct. Like, it's, like it's, I understand the idea that you have to do that every once in a while, and it's like you you mix it up and you drop him back and you have a body there. But like, he is not. But it's a shield in that it's way. It's a shallow zone coverage. He's not covering ten yards back. He's covering five, seven yards back, and it's just to confuse the quarterbacks. How many times have you seen we're the also Ravens not getting there. or the Steel? Yeah, we're, we're not getting there right now. But how many times have you seen teams that run this scheme effectively get interceptions by dropping back there? defensive yeah. tackles into that zone cover on like a crossing route. The quarterback just doesn't see it. He sees the linebacker blitz, doesn't expect it because you can't see over the lineman right there. Another, I, I, I another... think we'll get there. No, I think we'll get there. We're not there right now. And I think that is Greg Williams fault, but we, the Greg Williams defenses take a little while to take root, right? Like they, he, we're already are better than we were last year. Significantly. We already are better. It's frustrating to see the gaps in our defense, but historically Greg Williams defense do even better the second year than the first year they're implemented. I'm excited that our front office is drafting people that are tailored to the type of play that Greg Williams wants to play. And we need to continue to stick with this consistency. We just need to be consistent. The only thing that would be a failure from this year, even if we go 0 and 16, the only failure to me would be if we fire a bunch of people and clean house. That's how we fail this year. That's the only way in my mind. So I agree with you. I like regardless of any result, I don't want any firings happening. Not not because like I don't want people to lose jobs, but because I think it's better for us <laughs> to just keep people like in place for once. However, I am slightly disheartened that I feel like other teams know when Greg Williams is bringing blitzes. Yeah. Like no, I'm with we're you. projecting our blitzes. Mm-hmm. Like you even saw on Twitter, like the picture of DeAndre Hopkins pointing to the corner that was guarding him, like because the corner blitz is coming. It happens all the time. Teams are throwing away from the blitz or running away from the blitz. They know it's coming, and we're projecting it, and we're making it so freaking easy for other teams to play against. Yeah, us. they had that like third, and, the third and thirteen that they converted at the beginning of the second half. It's a joke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. And we he continues to bring those seven- and eight-man blitzes in those two-minute situations when we've got the other team backed up. When, and he brings seven or eight guys, and all that the other team has to do is just throw a little pass out to the flat or a little tiny curl route to the tight end, and they go for 50 freaking yards. I'm all for being aggressive, but that is not the time to be unreasonably aggressive. Bring five. Like, five. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but don't don't bring seven. But guard like, the line to gain. Yeah, make sure they don't get past it. Oh, it just okay. kills me. Can we stop? What, can what we else? stop talking about well, this game? Well, we're talking about Greg Williams now, and just how much of an idiot Greg Williams is. Speaking of idiots, we have our new segment. Drum roll, please. <laughs> our new segment is the three dumbest things Tony Grossi said this week. Yeah. So me. for those of you that don't know, I don't know that everybody follows and listens to Tony Grossi necessarily, but he used to write for the Plain Dealer and has been a beat writer for the Browns for years and years and years, literally decades, and got fired because he um, said some things he shouldn't have said about the ownership of the Cleveland Browns, and then got picked up and has become all the more salty as a writer for ESPN Cleveland. The thing I respect about Tony Grossi, and I'll say this before we dog him, is that he's been there a long time. So he truly understands the pattern of ineptitude that the Browns organization has um, exemplified over the last few decades. True, true. It's certainly been inept. But I think he's still angry that he's writing. He wanted to write about football his whole life. That was what he wanted. And then he got placed in Cleveland, and he's still angry that he has to write about the Browns. He's still angry that That's, we still suck. That's not unreasonable. It's not unreasonable. <laughs> I, I mean, I have my fair share of anger towards towards the Browns. So, so we picked a few a few nuggets this week of the of the things that he said that were stupid. The number three dumbest thing he said, according to Matthew, was he said someone tweeted at him and asked, 
would we c- trade Joe Thomas? And he said, what do you say, Matthew? He said, no chance. <laughs> when was the last time, maybe not the last time, but a recent time, Tony Grossi replied to someone saying, no chance? 12 hours before Joe Hayden got cut. <laughs> so basically the story here is before Joe Hayden got cut, someone tweeted at him and said, hey, Tony, we're aggressively trying to trade for Joe Hayden. Is there any possible chance that if we can't find a suitor for Joe Hayden that we might just cut him? Tony Grossi quickly and promptly replied, no chance. 12 hours later, Joe Hayden's cut. Which I think is a hilarious example of how much Tony Grossi does not know about what the front office is doing. The reason this is on the the countdown is not because the idea is irrational. It's because him speaking in such definite statements is comical at this point because he's proved that he has no idea what's actually happening within the organization. It's hilarious how he acts like he knows what's going to happen. Uh, Like he has so much knowledge and awareness of the situation in the front office that he just knows what's going to happen. So he says no chance. Like, why wouldn't you hedge a little bit, maybe a little bit, and still speak strongly and say, I highly doubt that they are even considering that option. Well, they say fake it till you make it. And I guess after 30 years, he just still hasn't quite arrived. Hasn't made it yet. Soon. Unbelievable. All right. So the second dumbest thing that Tony Grossi said this week was... He continues to harp on this connection between us cutting Joe Hayden and us trading for Brock Osweiler. Well, it's even worse than that. So this is like my personal soapbox. This has absolutely killed me with Tony Grossi ever since we signed Brock Osweiler. He is, I, I I think he's definitely a budgeter. Tony Grossi is like at home mm-hmm. because he's taking like a personal like finance budgeting approach to how the Browns run their team. So his rationale is the Browns made a trade, which he deems a terrible trade. If you read any of his writing to take on Brock Osweiler and his contract in return for the Houston Texans second round pick, which I love the Brock Osweiler trade. Oh, it's a be- it's my favorite trade ever. Fantastic. He's and a taxi cab it- driver yelling at Uber. That's what he's doing right now. <laughs> And when the trade, when the trade was made, everyone recognized that it was a taking on of a salary in exchange for a second round pick. It was and if unconventional. There was that problem, it was unconventional for sure. Very unconventional. Everyone praised it for its creativity from the Brown side. And certainly Houston benefited by taking Osweiler off of the books. Everybody wins. And so, but in Tony Grossi's mind, this doesn't make sense. We have to spend $16 million on Brock Osweiler this Tony year. Tony Grossi's tiny little mind. <laughs> and so he has connected the signing and the trading for Brock Osweiler to us cutting a whole litany of players. Mark, you mentioned Joe Hayden, but also on that list that he has mentioned in his writing is Cam Irving, is Desmond Bryant. <laughs> And a handful of others that he thinks adds up to the $16 million that we John, are having to John pay Greco. Osweiler. John Greco, which cracked me up, who remains yeah. unsigned to this That's day. That's actually not true. He got picked up last week by somebody. I did can't he? remember where. Well, yeah, well, he did. I was happy for him. I like well, that guy. Good for him. I, I like him, too, and I'm glad that he's on a roster. But the fact that it took him five weeks to get picked up like, kind of proves the point yeah, that he, He's not exactly the type of guy that if you let go from your football team, you're going to miss. Exactly. Yeah, and but- Joe Hayden has not been good so far this year in Pittsburgh. He hasn't been good. He's been the 77th ranked cornerback, according to Pro Football Focus. That's fantastic. So my my thing is, is the basic misunderstanding that he is portraying to the readers, which a standard just run-of-the-mill Browns fan is going to read and consider as fact in a lot of cases, is that those things are connected. Like, those decisions that the front office is making are siloed. They are looking at the big picture and the future of this team, and they are trying to build a team that is best positioned to win It's the, in it's, the future. Yeah, it's the same idea as... People keep harping on Terrell Pryor and that they let Terrell Pryor go. And they, they he signed for the Redskins on a one-year deal for $6 million. I think it goes up to $8 million. Just to get it with, up to eight. Yeah. With incentives. 
the Browns front office isn't interested in one year of Terrell Pryor. We don't care. We want the four or five years of Terrell Pryor at a decent value. We know we're not winning this year. We know we're not incentivizing or prioritizing winning. Like, one year of Terrell Pryor does nothing for us. In fact, it hurts us. We'd rather let you go somewhere for one year, and then maybe we'll resign you next year. That's yeah, fine. Honestly, we, don't, we want five years of you, or we don't want any of you. Yeah, and honestly, signing Terrell Pryor, just like hypothetically, if we had done that, signed the same deal with Houston, with Washington, it is not consistent with the strategy of this front office. Like we, what we're doing with all the long term. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings us to our last um, dumb thing that Tony Grossi said this week. And Mark, you're going to have to read the quote for me because you have it written down right there. But basically, to tee this up, he was talking about this Houston Texans team, and you don't have it written I don't down have the quote. You're going to have right. to do it. So as part of his preview— Thanks for your this... faith, though. <laughs> Drum roll's still going. Come on, Mike. Hit us pre- with it. <laughs> Stupid Tony Grossi. Right. Here it comes. The shoulders are getting tired. Come on. <laughs> Uh, as part of the preview this week, he's talking about the Browns playing the Texans, and he's saying that nothing improves the draft capital for the Browns than the Texans losing. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. Can somebody please explain basic math to right. Tony Gross? All right, Michael, please? here you go. What is zero plus one? It's one. What is zero plus one minus one? Zero. Nice. All right. Tony Grossi can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so the basic idea here is that we have our first two rounds of draft picks, and we also have the Houston Texans' first two rounds of draft picks. So this past week, if the Browns win, their draft pick is worse. And if the Texans, that would mean the Texans lose, and their draft pick is better. It- so it's one step forward, one step back. Either way, it's a net zero. So we How don't, does he not understand this? We don't care either way, like this week, about whether the Browns or the Texans lost from a draft perspective. It makes literally no difference. Every other week, we want the Houston Texans to lose. But if you're going to make the argument Tony Gross is making, we should hope the Browns lose because we have seven draft picks of the Browns and only two <laughs> draft picks of the Houston Texans. Yeah. Like, Absolutely it's right. ridiculous. Absolutely right. Um, so that argument just absolutely kills me. That I saw this on Twitter. It wasn't honestly just Tony Grossi, but he helps propel it, it amongst Browns fans, is that the Browns beating the Texans last week was going to help our draft so much. Not true at all. Like, literally zero effect. Yeah, it would even get us farther away from having the first overall pick, which is way more valuable for for a team than having the – 11th instead of the 12th but this kind of makes sense like Grossi has put out stuff um in his articles and on his twitter account that like exemplify that he does not understand the approach that our front office is taking he completely misunderstands it and the fact that he cannot comprehend how this works in the draft process and the numbers and the math Makes sense that he doesn't understand like an analytical <laughs> approach and taking like a probabilistic approach to the draft, to, a like, probabilistic David. approach to winning NFL games. Like that's probably a little more to ask than is yeah. reasonable yeah, if Tony you can't Grossi understand thinks, basic math. I think Tony Grossi thinks you throw a bunch of numbers into like a a spreadsheet or something, and it pops out and it tells you which quarterback's the best. Like he thinks that that's what analytics is. Is like it pops out and it tells you this is the guy. That's yeah. the guy. With, with one no answer. Idea. There's absolutely one answer. It's not a probabilistic like spectrum. It is yeah. this is definitively a hundred percent yes. Yeah. No and he Deshaun Watson. It, yes. It's because it's because that's how his brain works, is there's like it's all black and white. It's just very like good or bad, right or wrong. The browns suck. The browns suck. The browns suck. The browns suck. That's all you gotta hear. He's only things. got one track mind and it's the brown suck. Um, uh, so fact, that's true. He has not picked the Browns to win one of their games this year. Which, he's right. right, So, So, I mean, you just just bolstered him up there (laughs) because he's smarter than any of us. That's about five times he's been right when I've been wrong. Have you picked the Browns to win every week? Uh, Except for the Jets. You picked them to cover. Except for the Jets. I picked the Jets um, to cover. All right. Well, anyway, let's move on. Um, There's this Pat McManavin quote that I want to talk about. 
he said uh, about the 2017 Browns, he said that they have looked um, significantly more inept this year in 2016 than, than or this year than they did in 2016. Um, so I wanted to talk about that just quickly. Let's harp on that for a second. Do we actually think the 2017 Browns are worse than the 2016 Browns? In a word? Sure. No. Okay. In a word, no. I do not think that they are worse. I can point to a whole lot of different things, but the one portion of our team I think that is astronomically better than it was last year is our run defense. And as I look across the entire team and the talent that we have on our team, we have way more depth and talent across the entire team. There's a couple positions that are still weak and we really need to improve and it's hurting us week to week, namely safety and receiver. But across the board, I see a much better team. We're moving the ball so much better than we did last year. It was like pulling teeth to put a drive together last year, and we couldn't stop a soul. So I, the eye test tells me that we're definitely better than we were and, last year. And you also shared the numbers last week, Michael, about where we're standing in comparison to the rest of the league. I mean, we've only had a few weeks as compared to the whole season. We'll look at the end of the year, but – uh, it seems like we're making measurable improvements. Um, and I mean, Matthew, our records, what do you think? Our records I, are the same. I don't know. So it, it's early in the season still. I mean, we're only six weeks in. But the, the more advanced like analytics the, like for football outsiders, the DVOA rankings, um, are not looking good on the Browns. I mean, and part of that is our schedule has been really easy so far in the season. Yep. So we have not been playing good teams and we've been losing which never looks good. So it'll be interesting to see as we develop and play some harder teams. But right now we're, we're 28th and 30th in defense and offense, respectively. Is that in DVOA? Is that what you're looking at? Yeah. Well, so another basis for that is the previous season's performance as a baseline. No, they... but, th- but that's the Dave rankings. This isn't the Dave rankings. This is just the like, oh. this season DVOA rankings. Um, and so, Which you're right then is significantly affected by the by the strength of the, the teams strength of schedule, played. and so it'll be interesting to see how we develop throughout the year as we start playing like harder teams. Because if we like play with the harder teams, that our numbers will rise significantly and will look like a much better team in the underlying numbers. But right now, it doesn't look good. Well, we're not good. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not. I, I, I do think from the eye test, though, we, we do look better than yeah. we were last year. We were in some closer games last I'm, year, early in the season. Um, but I think, so much, I think we're much more talented. I'm so than much we more were. excited about the talent that we have at the roster on the roster this year than I am last year. Absolutely. And like, I would definitely put no credence in us being much more inept than we were yeah. in 2016, exactly. as Pat McManaman said. That doesn't seem right at all. All right, we're getting back to the roots of the podcast. We are trying to criticize your local Browns media. That's that's (laughs) what we're here for, give you an alternative perspective, perspective of a little bit of hope. Um, But to prove that we really don't know what we're talking about, let's move on to our predictions, the the lines of the games last week. Sounds good. Um, For the first week in the history of the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. Tell me, Michael. Mark comes out. Right into the veins. Oh, yeah. Oh, three straight W's. Oh, it's so sweet. (laughs) Mark Mm. won all three of his picks last week. And Matthew and I only pulled out one victory. Oh, man. In fairness, we've got a little cushion. Yeah. (laughs) We we do. I'm coming for you. We do. Matthew, despite our optimism, our continued optimism for the Browns, we um, still are at 50-50, both of us. We are tied 50% on our picks for the for the entire season. Which doesn't speak much about us. Like, that's how we should be, like, if we're just picking randomly. So, um, I think yeah, we're just it, about it's random. it's pretty good considering that we keep picking the Browns to cover, and they never do. That's true. A rational person um, would not pick the Browns to cover. Um, so, Michael, so hit, that brings us, hit us with the lines. Kansas City is playing on Thursday night at Oakland. Should be an interesting game. Hmm. Kansas City's favored by three. Matthew, what's your pick? Kansas City has made a living so far this year um, playing really bad defenses. Um, I think I have to go with Kansas City. Pittsburgh is a good defense. Oakland is a terrible defense. I think Kansas City is going to bounce back and get the win. 
Mark, um, I've thought a lot about this, and I agree with Matthew. I think Kansas City is going to win the game. Uh, <laughs> just Alex Smith is playing out of his mind right now. He's playing like super Alex Smith. He's tossing the ball down the field. Didn't have a great week last week, but as far as the season's been concerned, he's been throwing the deep ball a lot more consistently than he has in his entire career. And um, I'm going to go with Kansas City. Yep. I have the exact same pick as you guys. Oakland just doesn't look like they can get out of their own way at this point. Their offense is not anything what we thought it would be. Kansas City's just a better coach team. I don't see them um, doing anything but covering this one. Which brings us to the Sunday night game, which is a rematch of the Super Bowl. Atlanta at New England, who is favored by three at home. So basically drawing even and giving three points to the home team. Mark. What do you and your coin have to say about this game? Well, okay, I um, thinking about it. I think New England's gonna just like the Super Bowl. They're gonna pull it out and pull out of their butts at the very last second. Um, <laughs> I think New England's starting to figure it out. Uh, I'm surprised that they're favored to win this game, and that probably has something to do with the fact that Atlanta lost to the Dolphins this previous week. But um, I think New England and the uh, Bill Belichick and their coaching staff are going to be able to scheme around it. I am a little bit worried about the amount of points that Atlanta can score. Um, the Patriots defense has not looked great through the first few few weeks of the season, and the Atlanta offense can certainly score points. I wish that my coin had not have picked heads, but it did, um, so I'm going to go with the coin. That's exactly the reason why I'm picking Atlanta. New England's defense is ranked 32nd in DVOA based on the Football Outsiders metric, and it's not even close. They are a yeah. far 32nd. Like, um, the Browns are 28th, and New England is, like, twice as far from the Browns as the Browns are from the average. So I'm going to go Atlanta. Atlanta's offense is fine. Um they're not dynamic. They just kind of throw the ball, and they've got those running backs that catch passes, but I think Atlanta's going to pull it out. Yeah, I think you're right, stupid coin. I think we're all in agreement, even though the coin disagrees. <laughs> uh, Atlanta, I just think even not – it's definitely true that the Patriots' defense is not been good, and they have looked very poor all season. But I just think top to bottom, Atlanta is a more talented, better – coached team right now it's hard to say about a bill belichick team but um they're they look good i got atlanta so that brings us boys to tennessee at cleveland we're playing the titans again mark oh i did the coin flip early and it's looking like the coin this uh florida 2004 beautiful coin is telling us that the browns are gonna at least cover this week let's go all right. Hoping for a win. It'll probably be a painstaking, like, last-second field goal loss. But you know what? That might be better than what we endured this week. All right, Matthew? Oh, so Marcus Mariota is probably playing. I mean, he's playing right now um, for the Titans against Indy. Look, I'd, I hope we play Deshaun Kaiser. That's yet to be determined. I just have so little confidence in our defense to be able to actually stop somebody. We haven't stopped anybody all season. We've given up so many points. And it's not just points, it's big plays. Like, back-breaking big plays. I have to go with the Titans minus – or, yeah, the Titans minus six and a half. Um, this one's pretty simple for me. I have believed in the Browns all season and continually picked them week in and week out. And until they prove that they can show up on Sunday, I think I'm going to start picking against them. And so I'm picking the Titans because the Browns haven't shown me any reason to pick in their favor. Titans. And this is so painful because I live in Nashville and Titans fans are awful. Oh like, my gosh. Let's talk about that for a little like, while. Titans <laughs> fans don't care. I've never it's met amazing. a single person who cares about the Titans as much as I care about the Browns, not as much as I care about the Browns, but as much as like a hundred thousand people in Cleveland care about the Browns. It's ridiculous. And yet they're entitled to this mentality that they're going to be good and succeed. Yeah. And somehow they've fallen into it. And the Browns who have tried as hard as they freaking can 
can't even manage to pull them. But the out. fans are still behind him. I've got a little story that will illuminate this perfectly of how much the Titans fans don't care. So last year, Titans played the Browns in Nashville. Of course I was there. Went to the game. We tried to tailgate a little bit before, but the game was about to start. We had some extra beers. We had to give those beers away. So we walked around, <laughs> and I went up to a bunch of Titans fans, and I said, hey, I got a Bud Light for you. I am only going to ask one thing for you. Just say, go Browns. I was wearing my Browns jersey and everything. Without 100%, without fail, every single one said, oh, screw it. I don't care about the Titans. Go Browns. Let's go. <laughs> give me that beer. They sold out for one Bud Light before the game, and they said, go Browns consistently 100 percent certainty i know that if i was in the muni lot in a titans jersey next week telling people to say go titans a, a few might say it a few but not 100 percent. but that person would be in the hospital who was going around <laughs> trying to like yeah exactly give beers out. like like it would not have been something that would have even been considered yeah the browns fans are so much more consistently titans fans ask me all the time they're like dude why are you a browns fan like, why are you doing this? Like, why do you even still watch them? Is it because I love them? I don't know why. I wish I could give you an answer. I've been asking myself the same thing for years. But I just love them. Titans fans tell me all the time, it's like, I'm like, do you have an NFL team? They're like, oh, yeah, the Titans, but I don't really, I don't really watch them because they're, they're not very good. They haven't been good for the past few years. It's, it's just uh, going to make that Super Bowl trip that much more beautiful. Can't wait. Uh, can't wait. All right. I hope I, – I know I picked the Titans. I hope we win. I hope we do too. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here. That's going to be the pod for this week. Thanks so much for listening. As always, uh, follow us on Twitter at Sin of Our Fathers. Follow uh, or send us an email. Let us know what you think at Sin of Our Fathers at gmail.com. And personally, give me a Venmo payment at Mark Coon 2. That's just a little plug for my own bank account. I want your money. <laughs> Gimme, gimme. I want it. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Go Browns.